Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good afternoon, Joe. How you doing on this somber podcast week following up a K-State loss to the Tulane Green Wave? I'm doing all right, (laughs) considering. Hey, it is a um, first and foremost shocking defeat that we had uh, to the Green Wave, Uh, a humbling one. And we got a lot to dig into of what's going on because this can set off a train wreck or it can be something of adversity that we can rally from. But we definitely going into the University of Oklahoma, one of the best teams we're going to face this year. We don't have no time to spare. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad time for a bad loss, that's for sure. And there's a lot of questions about this team now. You can't blame the weather. You can't blame not opening the whole playbook. There's nothing to blame. <laughs> there's, can't play the blame game anymore. Now you really have to look and dig deep into the problems on this team. And there seems to be a lot of them, mostly offensively, defense. Played pretty well overall, I think, but we'll probably concentrate mostly on the offense, I'm assuming. Yeah, let's get into it, Joe. First and foremost, my assessment of the game was, number one, I just don't feel like Kansas State came out with a sense of urgency. Uh, I listened to Chris Kleiman in his press conference today saying that he did feel like the team was prepared. He felt like they had a good week of practice but they just didn't execute. Uh, My observation of that and having a pretty up-close view to it, it it just seemed like the body language and the emotion from the get-go was not there from the team. Now, I know it's tremendously hard to get 18 to 23-year-olds to get fired up each and every week about an opponent, especially when you've had two dominating wins in a row And then you've got an opponent that's coming in where you're a two-touchdown favorite and all indications say that you should beat this team. And then seven days from there, you got the University of Oklahoma sitting on the schedule. There's a lot of things you have to compartmentalize to try to figure out. But I just don't think the kids came out mentally sharp, ready to go. And I don't think they necessarily underestimated Tulane. But I think that they thought they were just going to come out, maybe have a little adversity, and then they'll just Tulane a let down, and then we'll get a nice, easy win. I think that's exactly right. And I texted you the first text I sent you during the game. I said, this team didn't show up, and they didn't. And that's a good point. Even watching the game, I kind of thought that too, that, Oh, we're just letting them stick around, but you know we'll score a touchdown or two here, at the, and you know eventually, and take the lead and get this win. It'll be a close win, but they'll get through it. But then it never happened. I mean, they they make poor decisions on offense in third and fourth and short situations that really killed them. Adrian Martinez 
wouldn't pass the ball downfield, which was very odd. He had wide open receivers. He just didn't pass them the ball. And he even looked at the receivers, and I think he saw them sometimes, and he wouldn't pass them the ball. I didn't understand that at all. He needs to pass the ball downfield. I mean, give me a break. You can't just, (laughs) you can't throw three or four yard passes time after time after time and think that's going to win any games in the Big 12, you know? Well, Joe, so let's get into that a little deeper, Joe. Uh, I I saw the same things you saw. Uh, Let's talk particularly about Adrian Martinez, and then we'll come back and talk about the play calling, I think, on third and fourth down, which is somewhat of a bigger issue as well. Uh, I agree with you. I think mentally Adrian Martinez is in a is in a precarious spot to where he wants to be able to lead this team. He doesn't want to make a mistake, but he's not letting it fly. He's not, he's not being a gunslinger. And I'm not saying being a reckless gunslinger, but he's got to trust his eyes and he's got to trust what he see and pull the trigger. Uh, if you go back on the right before the half, Knowles was on an out route uh, going in to score it looked like it wasn't there, but if he would have hit it immediately, it should have been a touchdown. Now, there was a player that was close by, but if he would have threw the ball, hit him right on the out route, and hit him on the outside shoulder, there was no way that guy would have picked the ball. But for whatever reason, Martinez didn't feel comfortable enough to let it go. Yeah, I agree with you on that play. And I even broke that down a little bit in my blog after the game. I took a screen capture of it, and Knowles didn't turn around and look at the ball soon enough. But I think Martinez has a trust that he was he was going to turn around and look at the ball, right. and he needed to throw it before he looked. And by the time he turned around and looked, Martinez decided he, he couldn't pass it to him. And that's when he threw it out of the end zone. So, yeah, that was a big play in the game. Could have been a touchdown because he had him open. No, initially, right. Initially, and those are the side sort of plays. Um, So I do think that there was some plays that was left on the field that was called for Martinez to go. But then I think also on the coaching side of it, I think we got to be more aggressive on first down, Joe, where we're not just putting Martinez in obvious passing situations for him to be successful. We have to have a first down pass for him. We got to be able to let him throw it on first down. We got to be able to let him throw it on second and two or second and one. We got to be able to throw the ball on non-predictable passing situations as well to be able to develop a rhythm, to get a rhythm going. So when we do have the obvious passing situations, We've got some things going and we can feel a little bit more comfortable of having a positive outcome. Yeah, I agree with you there. Martinez, he averaged, what, a little over seven yards at completion, which isn't isn't really good. Uh, he needs uh, seven, Right, 7.1. Ridiculous. Yeah. You mentioned already, but he's playing very conservative and he, he, he is – 
was afraid to take chances. I mean, that's the bottom line. And you could tell during the game. And, you know, initially the Boo Birds came out there in the third and fourth quarter from the fans because they could sense it and feel it too. I don't know if, you know, Clement, you, I listened to the, his presser today too, and he said he had a meeting with Martinez and told him that he, he does need to take chances downfield and relax more and don't worry about making mistakes. And I agree with that. Uh, it's good he had that talk with him, but why didn't he have that talk with him two games ago or whenever? Uh, it's a little late now after a loss, and I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, what happens if he goes and slings it against Oklahoma and he has four interceptions in the first half <laughs> or in the game well, or, or something like that? It could be a disaster. Well, that's the balance, and I, and, and I think we need to be able to find that out, though, Joe. Because if we do have that and he's not our guy, we need to have to be able to find that out in game four and not in game eight after four losses. That's, yeah. you know, that's that's the key. So my focus is if Martinez is not your guy, you need to be able to find that out now. Uh, we got away with it with two games with two subpar opponents where we were able to mask and kind of camouflage and get away with some things. Now, as the competition gets a little tougher and it, it improved with Tulane, and now it's going to go to an A-plus level with Oklahoma, now you're really going to be able to tell of what you're going to do. But I truly believe, and not just being an, a K-State fan and alumni, I think that Martinez is going to come out and be more relaxed this game. And I think the play calling from Colin is going to be like, hey, we know we're going to have to score points to beat Oklahoma. We're not going to be in a 10-7 type game again. We know we're going to have to. Our defense is playing well, but Oklahoma has an explosive offense. If we hold Oklahoma to 15 to 18 or even to 20 points, we're probably played a good defensive game. So it's going to take us to get in the high 20s and 30s to be able to have an opportunity to win this game. No disrespect to our defense. It's just a pure function of the amount of explosiveness you got on offense from Oklahoma. You're going to get into some games like that that you're not going to be in a 10-17 type game this week. It's going to you got to score some points to win it. Definitely, yes. So, so let, let, before we go on particularly to Oklahoma, let's talk about Tulane again on what caused the demise of the uh, the defeat to Kansas State. We lost 17 to 10. We both had 336 yards of total offense. Tulane did, we did. They just had one last drive, better opportunity, and they capitalized on more explosive plays than we did. But the caveat to this game is we had we won the turnover margin and still lost the game, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but it came down to the wasted possessions that we had being one for five on fourth down. My thing is why the one successful fourth down play we had was the quarterback sneak, Joe. Mm-hmm. And it was so, early in the game. I went back and early. when I watched the game, I thought, why are they going for it on all these fourth downs? Well, when I rewatched the game, I remembered, 
oh, in the first quarter, they went for it down and they made that one. It yeah, kind of gave them a of, false confidence in a way. <laughs> and well, yeah, I, was, I, would, I wouldn't really call it a false confidence, Joe. I think it was the proper play call. Yeah, we got true. up on the center. We executed a play and we got the first down. Now, for whatever reason, maybe Klein, Klein and Kleiman saw something different on the other fourth down plays. I, I don't know exactly what their thinking was, but some of those were very fourth. They were fourth and short. I would have took my big body Martinez, 6'1", quarterback, got behind that line, get a little push from the backs in the back because you can push the guys too. Yeah, You can push it. It's legal. Get in there and just push forward and get another yard or two. Why do we try to be in the shotgun and try to do a shuffle pass? One time we tried to do an option, which the option was there, but Martinez didn't pitch it. For whatever reason, he was hesitant yeah, he on that. Yep. He should have just pitched it. But in those short order situations with those big bodies, just go forward. And if you get stopped on a quarterback sneak or something right up on the center, then you just live to fight another day. But don't give the off, don't give the defense an advantage of being in the shotgun, especially when you've been unsuccessful before. Why did you go back to the same type of rhythm, Joe? That's where I'm. My, I'm baffled. Mm-hmm. And another question is: they didn't really have to go for it on those fourth downs. In the third quarter, it was, the game was tied at ten. They were driving. They had a fourth and two on the uh, two lanes, forty-five yard line. They ran DJ Giddens up the middle, and he was stuffed for a loss. What happens if you punt there and you pin Tulane back way back in their own territory or even on the 20-yard line instead of giving them great field position? Now, they didn't score on that possession, but the next time they switched back and forth on possessions, K-State was driving again and had a fourth and one on Tulane's 44-yard line. And then that's when Adrian Martinez was stuffed for a four-yard loss. So what happens if you punt on not both or either of those fourth downs on that on that possession where Martinez got stuffed, Tulane marched right down for the game. What ended up being the game winning touchdown. So what no, happens? What happens if you punt there and pin, pin them back in their own territory? They got a much longer field. You know, I, I was just thinking a much more conservative coach probably would have won that game instead of taking the, all those chances on fourth down. Now you're right. They should have converted those fourth downs by, you know, calling better plays. But also, why did they keep going for it on fourth down when they didn't really have to? It was a it was a tight game on those two fourth downs that I just mentioned. Well, Joe, I think that's what Kleiman is trying to say. Look, he's an aggressive coach. He believes in his team. But you're absolutely right. Maybe there was too much aggression there. Maybe we just we wasn't as successful as we normally are on fourth down. The odds have not been in our favor. Let's play the you know the field position battle the other way because when you come back to the fourth down right before the game was over, when we kicked it to we punted to Tulane and Tulane was able to run the clock out. That was the time I thought we should have took a chance, even though it was a fourth and long. It was a 4th and 10 or 12, 
but I didn't want to bank on our defense having to make three strong stops without for them out be not able to run the clock out because they the drive before they was having some success of moving the ball on us. And we was banking that we were going to get a three and out. It came down to a fourth and one. They actually went for it. Uh, so they got 10 yards and four downs exactly to ice the game. That was a situation where I would have been like, hey, let's just try one of our best plays, even though it's fourth and 10 or fourth and 12, whatever it is. But we're going to let the game hang right here with our offense and not see if we can stop them three downs, get a punt, and try to score at the end. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing, even though it was fourth and 12 or whatever. I was surprised they were punting there. I mean, you've gone forward on so many fourth downs, even though they were fourth and shorts, and there's only, you know, two minutes left in the game. So, I mean, your odds are better if you take a shot on fourth down versus punting and holding them to a three and out and making them punt, and you only have maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds left <laughs> to try to drive for a touchdown. I think the odds are better to go for it there on that fourth down. Exactly, and you wouldn't have no more timeouts because you was burning them trying to stop them. So those right. are the coaching decisions. Those are the decisions that climbing, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks to do it. It came back to burn them, and at the end of the day, we ended up Kansas State 17-10 to 10 loss to Tulane, a team from New Orleans, from the AAC Conference. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, shouldn't have lost the game, that's for sure. I'm still not feeling right behind this loss, Joe. I'm still having a tough time trying to <laughs> compartmentalize this one. <laughs> well, it was one of the most mind-boggling games I've watched in a long time. You know, you, you just were wondering, what are they doing here? What's the quarterback thinking? Or what are these play calls? You know, if Courtney Messingham was the offensive coordinator, you wouldn't know the difference, you know, if he was calling the game. Uh, and they made a big deal and fired him in the offseason and promoted Colin Klein, and he calls a game like this. I mean, it, it does he really have full reign over calling the plays, or is Kleiman saying, no, we need to do this and this and this? Because I didn't see a difference between what Colin Klein did in that game versus what Courtney Messingham did as offensive coordinator. No, it's a great point. I think Colin has command. I think, I don't know for sure uh, who has the final say and, and uh, does this play go or that play, but whatever it is, collectively, the execution on the field, uh, the play calling, and all the way up to the head coach, it just needs to be a better job coming, moving forward this week. They just don't get a passing grade last week for doing that together, and I think everybody needs to be held accountable from the coaching staff to the players as well. For sure. Now let's look ahead to we got the former Kansas State Wildcat, Brent Venables, his first year at the University of Oklahoma. He's 3-0, and went up to Nebraska, blew them out very comfortably, has a new quarterback coming to Oklahoma, Gabriel, new staff. It seems like Oklahoma has settled in. They had a little adversity for a little bit with Kent State, but it looks like they're ready to roll all systems a go. And they are a team that can be very dangerous. But what I do like 
and you picked the Cats to win this game at the beginning of the year, I still thought we were going to still would lose it. But all of these games, particularly in the last three years, have been decided by five points or so. They've been very competitive, and we won two, and Oklahoma has won one over the last three years. So I still think it's going to be a very competitive game. Uh, I think you're going to see some of the most explosive offense that you've seen all year. The question is, will our defense be able to put up a performance where we can get the big stop when we need it? We're going to give up some yardage. We're going to give up a few points, Joe, but it's going to come down to one or two big stops and a couple possessions. Can we get off the field either to get our uh, offense back to fall or to be able to preserve uh, because we're already in the lead? Are we going to be able to make those big stops? Yeah, and what I think is going to happen is K-State is going to come out and be much more aggressive offensively. They're going to pass the ball down the field a lot more. They're going to score some points. They're going to keep it close probably till halftime or a little after halftime. They're going to give us hope, but then I think Oklahoma is going to pull away in the end and probably win the game. Now, you know, I'm I'm a stats guy, and I yeah. – I looked at the – I just kind of look at the team stats and see if anything really jumps out at me. Now, Oklahoma has – and we have a small sample size and both teams have played non-conference so far. But Oklahoma has the 15th best rushing offense in the country right now. K-State's total defense is 20th in the country, but their rushing defense is 60th in the country. Now, that's a big disparity between Oklahoma's rushing offense and what they've done so far and K-State not being as successful against the run. So that's something that really stuck out at me. I mean, K-State's only given up 128 yards a game, where Oklahoma's averaging over 300 a game, I think. Oh, I rush it. You say Kansas State rushing defense is ranked what? 60th. Six zero. We're that bad. I thought we would be higher than that. No. Total defense is 20th, so we're much better against the pass compared to all the other teams. Yeah, that's shocking. So the Tulane game really reared his head a little bit. And uh, because I didn't think that we would be that far behind the radar, I thought we would be somewhere in the 30s or so on the rushing defense. So that's a big, that's a big component there. Yeah, K-State's actually in the top 10 in passing yards allowed. So take that for what it's worth. It's like I said, a small sample size, but that stuck out to me. If OU runs the ball successfully, we're not going to have a chance in this one. Yeah, well, we definitely uh, we definitely know we got to stop the run first, even though they got some very dynamic receivers, particularly in Mims, and Gabriel can chuck the ball around. Also, don't be surprised. You've seen uh, Gabriel against Nebraska run a 61-yard touchdown. So he does have the ability to tuck it and run it as well. And he can play into the RPO game for the Oklahoma's offense as well, too. So we got to be cognizant of that on, on the defensive side of the ball, being able to stop their running game, but also minimize the quarterback run as well. Yeah, it's going to be up to the defense. 
stopping Oklahoma as you know as much as they can. I don't think our offense is going to be able to do much do enough to keep up with them scoring wise. Like I said, I think they'll do pretty good there in the first half. I think they'll scheme some things and throw the ball downfield a lot more than they have been and keep it close for a while. That's just my prediction. I don't know how my, you feel about it, but. Well, my prediction is I think we're going to be in another close game. Uh, as I said, I think it's going to come down to a possession or two of Kansas State being to make a stop. But it's going to be critical for us to even stay close with Oklahoma. We got to get some dynamic plays in the punt return game and in the kickoff. Now, the kickers have been doing a very good job not giving us an opportunity to return on the kickoffs. But we've got to do a much better job on the punt return of holding those guys up front so we can give Brooks an opportunity to get in there and make some plays. And it's not always bringing one back for a touchdown, Joe. I'm saying that can be another explosive play where we can get a 30, 40-yard return, give us a short field, put us in position to score a lot easy, easier. We have the playmakers to do it, and I think that's an advantage for us, the one advantage that I think we have over Oklahoma, and we have to take advantage of that to be able to have a chance to pull off the upset in this game. Yeah, definitely. Special teams is going to be huge. We'll need to play an A game at special teams to, to beat Oklahoma for sure. We're, we're going to need an A game from the offense, defense, and special teams to beat them. And I know I predicted a victory at the beginning of the year. I'm definitely not feeling that now. <laughs> I think you got to uh, stay with it, Joe. You got to stay with it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't got to, but <laughs> I understand. I'd like I understand. to. I just don't feel real good about it at this point. And I thought Oklahoma might struggle a little bit more than they have. I mean, they've just been, they've killed everybody they've played. They beat UTEP 45 13, Kent State 33 to 3, and then Nebraska, well, they're a mess, but still it was 49 to 14. So they haven't even had a close game. So usually you could tell with the with the line. I mean, we don't know. Vegas is not always right because they weren't right last week. They had us a 14-point favorite over Tulane. Uh, but Vegas has Oklahoma. A 13-point favorite over K-State, 13-12, 12 and a half, wherever you look. It's basically a two-touchdown uh, game. And if you look at the history of the last, like I said, few years uh, of the games, they've been very close games. I don't know what it is. Climbing plays Oklahoma competitive. He doesn't do well against Oklahoma State or Texas. A, a couple of other teams we haven't figured out yet, but some reason, for whatever reason, we play Oklahoma very well and very competitive under the climbing era. So I don't see anything different in this game, but what I do see is you would think Oklahoma, this is going to be their first game, I think, unless something gets wild and we have some turnovers and they get out of hand early that Oklahoma is going to be have to be in a four-quarter game. And we need to see how their players are going to really react to Gabriel and how he's going to be able to do in a more competitive 
type environment. I'm interested to see how that's going to be to play because K-State failed that test last week in their first competitive environment. And since the little adversity, we did not pass that test. Now, how will Oklahoma do? They basically had three weeks of smooth sailing of tune-ups. Uh, how would they deal with that this week? I'm interested to see how that turns out. Yeah, and you mentioned the close games against Oklahoma. In 2019, K-State won 48-41. 2020 won 38-35. What was it last season? Like 37-31. 37-31, right. Right, right. So, yeah, they've been close games for sure. And we was an onside kick away that that uh, Lincoln Riley challenged last year that we would have got that onside kick. Who knows? We could have went out and scored. It was a whole different game. Yeah. And another thing I noticed or I have noticed in the last three years is, well, number one, Chris Kleiman will string together a bunch of victories in a row get everyone really excited about the team. And then you have these head scratching losses. And when these losses have happened, there's only one time he, he has lost and followed it up with a victory. Surprising enough. And that was, that, against? that was in the COVID year against Arkansas state. And who did he come back and beat? Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> right. Right. After so, Davis, after after everybody thought the sky was falling yep. against Arkansas State, we all did. That was a horrible loss. Somehow he was able to rally back, and it was during the COVID year. It was not a lot of fans in the stands, even though Oklahoma they still had fans um, down there, but it wasn't like everywhere in the country. And somehow he came back and got it done. So yeah. in 2019, it was. Start the season, win three, then lose two, then win three, then lose two, then win two, then lose one. the bowl game to Navy. Right. <laughs> then the next year, it was lose Arkansas State. Then he rattles off four in a row, beating Oklahoma and Tech and TCU and KU, and then he lost five in a row in the season. Then last no, so, year, yeah, yeah last, last year started out three and oh, then lost three. Then won four, then lost two, and then won against LSU in the bowl game. So I just found that interesting that whenever he, whenever the team loses under him, they typically follow that up with a loss. And the only time it hasn't happened, like you mentioned, was against that Arkansas State when they followed up that loss with a win against Oklahoma. Yeah, you're right. It's a very interesting. I'm hoping we can uh... – don't have those big win three, lose four in a row type of situation. And hopefully this doesn't start one because if you look at our schedule, you know, we got Oklahoma, but then we come back with a, you know, Texas Tech at home. And then you got to go up to Iowa State as well. So it, 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 Texas Tech can be tricky. We know what Iowa State is doing. They're playing well and they play well at home. They got a tough game this week against Baylor. So you don't know how this thing can go. So let's talk about Joe before we kind of get things start breaking it down, close it out. Excuse me. Let's talk about the top players that Oklahoma have on offense and defense. Obviously, we talked about the quarterback, the transfer, Dylan Gabriel from U- US, 
from uh, Central Florida. He seemed like he's good as advertised right now, um, but we don't know. The level of competition hasn't really been there. I want to see how he performs on a little bit more adverse situation. I hope K-State is a little bit more creative on defense. Joe, will we try to put some pressure on Gabriel now, which that may leaves us in some one-on-one situation. And Marvin Mims is probably one of the best receivers in the Big 12. He's a yep. dangerous guy. You don't like to give him too much one-on-one coverage. But I do think we got to make it uncomfortable for Dylan Gabriel. I'm not saying we can't get there with four, but we need to mix it up. We need to do some zone blitzes. We need to send guys that he don't think's coming. Uh, we got to be a little bit more exotic on our defensive schemes to make it uncomfortable for this guy. And we need to do that on some of the early downs as well. So I'm saying as a defensive team, let's play offense on defense, meaning let's be the aggressor. Let's try to take the fight to Oklahoma instead of sitting back trying to let them dictate what they're going to do and we react. Let them react to what we do. Yeah, exactly. And I noticed in there when I looked at their box scores, I I didn't watch any of their games. I didn't have a chance to, but they spread the ball around a lot, both to the receivers and to the running backs. So, Again, maybe a product of who they played, and they had a lot of the backups in since, the, I mean, all their games were blowouts. But is uh, is Eric Gray their main running back? Do you know? Uh, the greater running back, yes, he is. Yeah, okay. He is. Yeah, and Mims yeah. has had big games, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gray is the running back. He's a starter. Uh, but you will see Barnes as well. You will okay. see Barnes as well, and then another running back named Major. He'll get some time, but Eric Gray is the main one. And their receiving core, you know, their main guy is Mims. But then you got um, uh, Farouk is another guy that gets some. He'll get some targets and some catches. Mm-hmm. And then little, and then Stoops' son. He's their kind of possession type receiver. Yeah, he's Drake their, Stoops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's their, um, you know, warner for us. He's that type of guy. He'll You look for him in third and four, third and five. He'll make the tough catch, come across. He's a guy that's, that's, that's scrappy that'll get in there as well. From a defensive side, they got some playmakers over there. The main guy that I like is uh, their linebacker, Deshaun White. He's a pretty good player. Uh he can get it done, uh, and uh, along with Jaron Kanick is another linebacker. Both of those guys is good, and Kanick is a guy from Hayes, Kansas as well. He's a freshman. I don't know how he got out of the state, Joe, but he's a yeah. pretty good linebacker as well. He is uh, – the two linebackers are very active, very aggressive. They do some very good work as well, and they'll – They'll pressure, they'll blitz those guys, they'll move them around, they'll do a lot of different things with them. Yeah, I was just looking at their stats from the Nebraska game, and yeah, Kanek and some of the names I can't pronounce. <laughs> All that yeah, Kanek had 10 tackles. Oh, yeah, Kanek had 10 tackles, yeah. He, and, and, and yeah, 10 total. And uh, White had a sack and a tackle for loss. And you got to understand, 
that Brent Venables does have a defensive coordinator, but Brent Venables has his his hands all over this defense. And Brent Venables is a guy traditionally, he don't just play base defense. He's going to make it uncomfortable for you, Joe. He's going to blitz linebackers. He's going to bring safeties. He's going to bring a cornerback. He's going to do some zone blitzes. He's going to have some exotic type stuff coming at you. You're, you, it's always going to be something coming at you. That's just the way his his tenacity is. He is as a, as a person. As a person, it's just an aggressive nature that he's going to take coming at you. It's going to be a challenge. It'll be an interesting game to watch. So I'm going to predict, um, Joe, the game. I'm going to go with something a little bit shocking. I think Kansas State. We'll take it to overtime, and we'll lose a very tough overtime game, 42-35 in Oklahoma, but in an overtime game. Okay, I like it. Okay, so I think the Vegas line is about right. I'm going with Oklahoma, 41, K-State, 24. I think K-State will keep it close for – a half and maybe into the third quarter and then Oklahoma will pull away at the end to get the win. Well, Joe, let's both hope you're wrong because I just, I just, yes, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I just feel, <laughs> I don't feel real good if we lose two in a row and then have to come back home to play another scrappy Texas tech team, which, um, that game scares it me, scares me too. And it didn't scare me a few weeks ago when I thought our ability at home was a little bit more stronger with the home field advantage. But with Tulane coming in there and upsetting us, it seems a little different now. So I'm hoping we can uh, pull an upset. I don't think we will either. But if we can play a very, very competitive game, I think that'll help our psyche and then go ahead and lead us to, um, you know, some more victories in the Big 12 because I always thought we would lose this game. I just think how we lose it is going to be the key. If we get blown out and it's not a competitive game, that's not going to be good. But if it's a competitive game all the way through the fourth quarter and we take a tough loss, I think there's no more victories and and close games, but I think we we can live with that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you. Let's go, Wildcats. We'll be uh, looking at this one primetime on Fox, 7 p.m. Central Time. The whole country will be watching this. So we'll, we'll, everybody will have their, they'll have their opinion of Kansas State. Right. You got any big plans or watch parties to go to? No, nothing big or nothing planned. You know, we'll just kick back and uh, turn the tube on and see what the Wildcats do. All right. That sounds good, man. All right, buddy. Have a good one, Joe. All right. You too. Thanks. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.